Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Thank you, Tony, and uh, that was a refreshing moment there for me. I'm not sure if you felt that same way or not, but just to be able to pause and just to give thanks to God for what he's doing in our lives and, uh, and also just to cry out to him um, on things that are just in our hearts today. And so uh, one of those prayers that pray- uh, Tony was praying this morning was about sickness, and, and I'm one of them that needed prayer this week. And so I'm going to do my very best to get through this message today without hacking my germs all over you. And so if you stay away from me today, that's quite all right. I give you freedom to do so. Um, I don't want you to have what I've been dealing with this past week. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1. And in fact, we're just going to look at one verse today, shocks of all shocks. And, uh, um, but it's going to be a very interesting day today. Um, I, I thought it was very interesting several months ago when we were talking about this as pastors, about what we were going to uh, speak into regarding the theme of Christmas, um, that Tony proposed that we would uh, speak on, on the man Joseph, right? Of all the obscure characters in, in the Christmas story to, to make a series around, um, this one is a very interesting one. But the more that I began to, to dig into uh, the, the gospel accounts in Matthew and Luke and begin to kind of focus in on, on Joseph, um, there's a lot to this man, believe it or not. Now, when you look at uh, Christmas pageants, you know, basically Joseph has two roles in every Christmas pageant. One, uh, lead the donkey, right? And number two, he asks the one question to the innkeeper, do you have any room in the inn? And then he kind of, after that, it's kind of like window dressing in the Christmas story, right? Um, but when you look into the accounts of Matthew and, and Luke, we discover that there is more to Joseph than what meets the eye. He's referred to as a God-fearer. He's a man who, who loves God with all of his heart. Um, he's a faithful man. Um, he's determined and has a, uh, has a persevering attitude about him. And one of the things that we often overlook about Mary, as well as Joseph, is that these were two teenagers. Um, they were thrust into the, the central apex of history um, overnight, right? Um, it wasn't something they looked uh, forward to. It wasn't something that they had prepared their whole life for. They, they were just teenagers. Mary was probably 13, 14. Uh, Joseph maybe a little bit older than her, maybe in the, her, his upper teens, both from the backwater town of Nazareth. Both grew up in poverty and obscurity. And for whatever reason, in God's sovereignty, he chose the, these teenage couple um, to raise the son of God. The pivotal part that Joseph plays in the Christmas story comes down to what we're going to talk about today. Um, we're going to talk about today the, the genealogy, you know, of, of Joseph. Now, before you go into a snore fest, right, um, I, I chose this because I was fascinated by the background to Joseph. The reason why Joseph 
is asked to be the surrogate father of Jesus is because there's something about his bloodline. There's something about the events of, and the activities of God and the lineage of Joseph that is so key to Jesus claiming to be the Messiah. For many years, I've been very fascinated with my own background. You know, um, I don't know much about my family. We're, it's a pretty small family unit that I come from. And, uh, and I've just always been fascinated about where we've come from. And I heard stories throughout the years from the older generations about uh, where we came from. We were from Missouri, and then we kind of came from Missouri all the way from Pennsylvania. And, and from Pennsylvania, we came all the way from Europe. And that's always fascinating. Anyone have been fascinated by your, by your family lineage, your, your genealogy is what we call it. Anyone in here? No one in, am I the only one who, okay, I see a few back in the back. Thank you for rescuing me. I don't want to be the only weirdo in the, in the room this morning, right? But, but I've done the DNA swab test for $129, you know, and I've, I've discovered what everyone else has discovered for my 129 bucks that I originally came from the Middle East, North Africa, shock of all shocks, right? We all originated from there. Um, but a couple of years ago, um, my father, unbeknownst to me, he, had, he paid someone uh, to, to go into and figure out, you know, where our family came from, uh, the names behind our, our, our you know, generations. And, and boy, he, he turned it over to me, and I have it in my house. In the past couple weeks, I've been kind of thumbing through it again. But it just it's a three-ring binder of just page after page of, of the Myers family line. And I, you know, when you get engrossed in it, you just like, man, I wonder what these people were really like in their in their daily activities, and they just kind of come off the page at, to you at some points. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I get really uh, engrossed in these uh, documentaries on PBS that they get all these famous people and they go through their they go through their genealogy charts and they're they're always connected to these famous people for some reason. Well, there's nothing famous about the old Myers clan. We're just we're just good old folk, you know. Uh, made our way from Dutch Pennsylvania, came over from Austria, right? The only the only thing about my family line so far that I've discovered back in the 1600s, um, I am related um, very obscurely to this prince um, whose domain was on the border of Switzerland and Austria. So uh, I don't mind if you want to call me your highness or uh, <laughs> bow in my presence at all. You know, I, I would love that. I would love that. That's about the only thing I could see in our family line that would maybe go, wow, right, right. Um, in all seriousness, I have just like the smidgen, smidgen of royal blood uh, flowing through these veins of mine. Um, but when it came to Joseph, he was truly of royalty. There were generation after generation of kings that made up his family tree. And this is where he becomes very important to the Christmas story. And I appreciate how Matthew starts out his gospel um, with this genealogy of Jesus. He spends 17 verses um, going through 44 generations telling the story of Jesus's background. Now, both Mary and Joseph both had bloodline, royal bloodlines, right? But it was only through Joseph's line that Jesus could actually make the claim that he was king of the Jews. Though Joseph's 
blood did not flow in Jesus' vein. Remember again, he was, Jesus was born of a, of a virgin birth. And though through, through the heritage came through Mary, it was through the, the father figure in, in Jesus' life that he could literally lay claim to the throne of David. Now, where did Matthew get this genealogy? Where would he have been able to go and find out these 44 generations uh, of Jesus? Where would, where would he get, to, get the notion that, um, that Jesus could be traced all the way back, not only back to, to David himself, but all the way back to Abraham? How do you get that? Well, this is one, one obscure fact in, in history was this, that inside the temple walls, there was a, a room set aside that held all the, all the family ch- uh, charts of all the Jews in Israel. So if you wanted to uh, find out who you were related to and, and what tribe you were connected to, all you did was made a, made a trip to the, to the temple courtyards and there was a, a group of people that all they did was they, they archived the family trees and you could figure out who you were. Pretty neat. You didn't have to do a DNA swab, you know, didn't have to fork over 129 bucks to a company. It would just go to the temple and just say, hey, this is who I am and this is what I need to find out. And, and that's how, what Matthew did. He went to the temple. About, about A.D. 70, the, the temple was destroyed, and, and all the genealogies were also destroyed as well. Very fascinating. One of the commentaries that I read speaks about the fact that Matthew's uh, geneal- genealogy and Luke's genealogy are the last known written genealogies um, of the Jewish heritage because they were all destroyed um, in A.D. 70. And so in this moment, we have this claim by Matthew that Jesus is of royal blood and he is truly is the king of the Jews. So this is how the gospel of Matthew opens up in, in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Very, very quickly, the, in the Greek, it, it, the, the two words that speak, that, uh, that appear is biblios genios, which literally means the book of the Genesis of Jesus, right? So this is where, where Jesus comes from. This is his heritage. This is his background. These are the people that make up the story of, of the gospel. Uh, all throughout the Old Testament, remember the gospel doesn't start with the coming of Jesus. The gospel proclamation begins at the fall of Adam and Eve in, in, in Genesis. Now, I doubt that uh, anyone in this room can say, man, my life verse you know, is found in Matthew chapter 1, you know, 1 through 17. That there's something about Abraham begetting somebody else that just really caught my attention. I just really love those verses. And I know that this could be a snooze fest of an opportunity if, we just, if I just took the time to read all 44 generations that are accounted for in, in, in these 17 verses. I'm not going to do that. But what I do want to do is today is I want to take us through a few people that are mentioned in this gospel count. Of the 44 names, there are certain names that are infamous, some that are um, good people, some that are very evil people. You know, that's just part of our family trees, right? There are people in our family trees that we, we celebrate, you know, thumbs up. You know, we're, we're glad that we're related to certain individuals or other people that we just never talk about, right, in our family trees. And we see that in Jesus' ge- genealogy as well. 
that there are certain people that you're going, my goodness, I cannot believe um, that that person is in the lineage of Jesus. But there it is for us all to view the good, uh, the bad, and the ugly. But, but here it comes down to this. It comes down to when you look at these, these 44 names and, 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 and the 42 uh, generations of people in these 17 verses. It's the providential working of God in the lives of these individuals to bring about the coming of the Messiah. Uh, when you take the time, and I encourage you to take the time, you see God at work in every single generation. Some are more prominent than others, but God is at work to what? To redeem mankind. Remember, the gospel story started when, when Adam and Eve sinned, and he promised Adam and Eve and that, that he was going to restore them. He was going to make things right when they fell into sin. He was going to send the coming redeemer and they all thought that it was going to be the next generation after them, and, and it wasn't. And from the moment of Adam and Eve falling in the garden, they looked forward to the day that a Messiah would come. And so it all coalesced in the coming of Jesus. But there was a God's providence at work. And what I mean by, by providence, it's the, it's the sovereign working of God in the lives of these individuals. I just want to take us down and talk about two things that I see in the providence of God in the genealogy of Joseph. And I hope that what you can take away from the day, you can say, man, that, that is part of the, the Christmas story. The Christmas story is not just about um, a, a baby in a manger. It begins there. But it really ends and coalesces with, the, with that baby in the manger becoming a man and, and dying on the cross for the sins of, of all mankind. Well, the first thing we see in the genealogy of Joseph is that, is that God is and always will be a friend towards sinners. Now, in this family tree, there are some well-known figures. In fact, in, in verses uh, 1 through 6, um, there are some amazing people um, that Matthew lists a part of, of uh of Jesus' tree. Um, Abraham. I mean, wow, the, the father of, of the nation, Abraham. That, 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 started, that started everything, right? Abraham was a part of, of Jesus' lineage. His great, great, 42nd uh, grandpa removed, right? Then you had Judah. You had Jacob. You had David. You had Solomon. Some, some great men um, that the, the, the scripture has been many chapters speaking about their lives, their exploits. Now, I will say this, all six of those men I just mentioned, Abraham, Jacob, Judah, David, and Solomon, they, they, were, they were great men, not necessarily because of the, 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 the wondrous exploits they did. Some were better than others. But what you see in these men's lives that they are all threaded together was that they were not perfect. They were far from perfect. In fact, all of them needed a redeemer in their life because they were sinners, just like you and I are sinners. Their lives were like soap operas, right? I mean, you read, you read the Old Testament accounts of these men's lives. Um, they, they, they knew God, but there's oftentimes we're just like you and I. We, we kind of do our own thing and, and find ourselves drifting off into sin and rebellion and, and doing things that are not holy in our lives. 
Think about Abraham. Abraham, like I said, was the father of the nation. Great man. It says that he was a, a great man of faith, a great man of righteousness. But he also was a liar. He, he, he sold his wife off into, into slavery to Pharaoh in order to protect his own life. Um, you look at Jacob. Jacob was a scoundrel. He, he looked after himself. It was, in, his, in his world, he was number one, right? Nothing else mattered than his comfort. In fact, he, he stole the birthright from his brother Esau. Judah, Judah, which was um, the man who led the tribe where Jesus would come out of. Uh, Judah was one of the, the brothers of Joseph, and, and he was the ringleader in selling Joseph off into slavery. Not only selling him off, but he, but he covered up this um, deceit from Isaac for, for generations. And then you have David, who was a great king in his own right, right? I mean, the Psalms, the, most of the Psalms are, are, are the heart cries of David to God, and we, we appreciate that ministry, but he was also a man who was prone to lust, a man who should have been out um, to war with his troops, but instead would stayed back and, and uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and, and covered up that adultery with murder for well over a year. And then you had Solomon um, who was born out of this union between Bathsheba and David. Solomon was the greatest man, one of the greatest men to ever walk the earth, the richest man to walk the earth, the wisest man to ever walk the earth. And, and what, is it, what do we see in, in Ecclesiastes? That he was so wealthy and wise, he had, a, he, had a, he had a wandering eye for the ladies, right? And those ladies got him in trouble after a while. He didn't want one. He had, he had many, many, many wives, and because he cannot control his lust for things of this world, we read in Ecclesiastes that he comes to the end of his life and he says, you know what, my whole life has been meaningless. I had the whole world and it was meaningless. And yet this is what I love about each and every one of these men's stories is that God never ran away from them. God never gave up on them. God was in the midst of their failures God was in the midst of their sin. God was in the midst of their, of their circumstances to bring them to a place of repentance. God never one time gave up on these men. And I, I believe that that story is, is true throughout the entirety of Scripture. God never gives up on people. In fact, I, I believe it's the opposite. We oftentimes give up on God quite easily. But God never gives up on us. And isn't that a great, great way to celebrate Christmas? That God never gives up on mankind. No matter how they deny him, no matter how far they rebel against him, he has declared through the Christmas story, through the coming of Jesus, that he is indeed a friend towards sinners. Now, Matthew, of all people, would have understood this, understood this thought. Because Matthew was also considered a tremendous sinner. Remember when Jesus called Matthew in, in Matthew chapter 9, he gives this account that he says to Matthew, come and, and follow me. And then and Matthew gives a great party on behalf of Jesus. And what was the response of the people around him when they saw that, that he was eating with these people? It says, who is this man that he would literally eat with the, with the scum of society, right? 
And what was Jesus' response to them in, in, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13? He says, For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know, who know that they are sinners. This is the, the central theme that runs through Scripture of, of God's heart for sinners. And Jesus mimics the heart of his heavenly Father and that he too embraces those who, 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 who according to the, to the self-righteous of the world, are not even worthy to know God. But Jesus says, no, no, they're worthy to know God. And, and because of me, I, I draw these type of people. I draw sinners from all backgrounds, all, all ways of life. I draw them unto the Lord myself. That God would send the baby born in a manger, but yet to die on a cross to demonstrate that he is truly a friend sinners. I love how John 1.14 uh, describes Jesus. This is so beautiful. If, you're, if you like to underline scripture, this is a great verse to underline because I think this, this is like a Polaroid picture of the heart of Jesus. This is what it says. So the word became human and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. I mean, the, the love of Jesus towards sinners oozes out of him. And that's what makes, I believe, the, the Christmas story a grand story, right? That no matter what, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, God is your friend. And he will never give up on you. Yes, God loves you deeply. And maybe you needed to hear that, you know, today. That God just simply loves you for who you are. And he draws you and he draws me, he draws the entire world to, to come to him in repentance of sin so that our lives might be refreshed by his grace and by his love in our lives. And so the providence of God running amok in the lineage, the genealogy of Joseph. There's also a second thing I want us to ponder this morning regarding this genealogy. And that is how when people encounter the grace of God, this grace that God gives them sometimes changes the very dynamics, the outcomes, um, the destinies of people's lives. Now, there are four women Mentioned in Joseph's genealogy, four women: Tamar, um, uh, Bathsheba, Rahab, and Ruth. Now, this is uh, this is uh, weird, right? Because anything you know about, about the Jewish society at the time uh, of the writing of this gospel, it was a very deeply patriotic uh, uh, society. Women were not considered, you know, something of great value. But this is what I love about the story of God. The story of God brings women up to the front, right? The story of God, it says, I am interested just as much in, in women's lives, in women's spiritual conditions as I am with men. He does not play favorites in that regard. Women take a, take a beautiful place and has a beautiful place 
and the redemption story and the Old Testament and in the New Testament alike. And even in the Christmas story, Mary and Elizabeth, among others, play a huge role in telling of the good news of the coming of the Messiah. But there's two women in particular, when we look at these, uh, these four, they're just un- unbelievably changed by their encounters with God. And it wasn't that they did anything to deserve the grace of God. And that's usually what, what the grace of God is all about, right? It's when God gives us something that we just don't deserve. And for Rahab and for Ruth, they didn't deserve what God gave them. But God just, just generously poured out his mercy and his grace in these women's life. Now, for Rahab, maybe that's a name you haven't really heard much about. But her, her story is told in, in Joshua chapter 3 all the way through Joshua chapter 7. And Rahab was a, was a woman of ill repute. She was a prostitute. She ran the brothel inside Jericho. And we know her story because when the spies were sent out to spy about Jericho, Joshua sent the spies out to spy in Jericho, um, she hid them in her home so they would escape a notice. And here's the one promise they made to her. Because of her generosity towards these spies, um, they promised her when, when, when they came in to destroy the city, her and her family would escape. Well, guess what happens? Um, they, they, the trumpets are sounded. The walls fall, fall down. Um, the Israelites rush in. They destroy everything. They take over Jericho and, except for one. And that is Rahab. Hebrews chapter 11 speaks about Rahab's um, um, uh, story in which it says that she, her faith in that moment, her actions was of great faith. Unbelievable that a, a woman of ill repute could, could turn to God and have tremendous faith in him. And what did God do in that do for Rahab? This is what he did for Rahab. Not only did he rescue her and her family, but he grafted her in into the to the family uh, of, 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 of the Jews. She was a Gentile, but she became a part of the tribe of Israel, right? She married into the, to the family story um, that we find out becomes the, the lineage of the Messiah. This woman of ill repute because of an act of faith and a trust in a God that she barely knew. God changed her destiny forever. Then you have Ruth, Ruth, another Gentile. She was a a Moabite. Again, outside of the lineage of the Jews. We know Ruth's story through through a a whole entire book dedicated to telling her story. Ruth was a a very poor woman. She married into a poor family. Just a few years into her her marriage, her husband dies. In fact, uh, Ruth's story is just one tragedy after another tragedy. But here's this beautiful thing. There's a line in Ruth chapter 2 where it says that it just so happened that Ruth began to work in the fields belonging to Boaz. And when you think about it, there's nothing that just happens. There's no such thing as coincidence in the scriptures. Everything is, is by a, a, a design from the sovereign hands of God. And so where, where Ruth thought her life was going to be a life of misery, God had other plans for this, this great woman. He changed it forever by her just simply working and picking up little pods of grain in a field. And Boaz came to, to love her and to cherish her. 
And it says in the, in the story of Ruth that he was her kinsman and redeemer. In other words, he was related to her deceased husband, and he had all rights to, to ask her to marry him. And to think for a moment that she was grafted into the family tree of, uh, of the Messiah, that generations later, later another kinsman redeemer would rise up in Jesus, and he would be able to graft us all into the family of God through his death in Christ. For those of us who, have, who are Christians, we have tremendous stories of life change. We, have, we can tell testimonies of, of what our lives were like before Christ and how Christ has, has truly done an incredible work in our hearts. That our, our lives are not the same. Our, our families are not the same. Um, the quality of our lives are, are not the same. Our futures because of Christ is a lot better than, than what we experienced in our, in our past. And everything about knowing Christ and knowing his grace and, and being consumed by his love and his forgiveness, it is literally life-altering. And our destinies for, are forever changed, not only here on earth, but also for all of eternity because of that encounter we've had with Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, anyone who, who belongs to Christ has become a, a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has just begun, right? And there's the beauty of the genealogy of Joseph. That's the reason why that, that God in his great um, providence through the power of the Holy Spirit, put it on the heart of Matthew just to journal down, write down for all of history these 42 generations and these 44 individuals because God has a story to tell. And God's story is this, is that Israel's history is filled with sinners. And that's who my son has came to save. And here's the good news. If Jesus Christ was not ashamed of his ancestors, he will not also be ashamed of his descendants. This genealogy is nothing more than a declaration of God's grace to the world. And here's a very interesting fact. The, the family tree of Jesus is still being added to today. We just saw 42 generations of the past but ever since his death on Calvary, he has been adding to his family tree. His genealogy is called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's the only, only family tree that I know of that one can become a part of simply by accepting an invitation. And yet he offers to this day that as many receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. The story of Christmas is a story of adoption. It's a story of, of you and I being grafted into the family of God through the life and death of Jesus Christ. It's the grace of God on display in Joseph's life. I will say this, that Joseph was a remarkable man 
because he put his full faith and trust in God himself. When God stepped into his life and through a dream one night, and I think Pastor Twain is going to speak on this next week, um, it forever changed this young man's life. His destiny was forever changed, but we see no regrets in it at all. Why? Because even at that young of age, he truly trusted in the goodness of God. You see, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. God loves you, and he has a plan for your life. And there's going to become a day where, where Jesus opens up his, his own book, that book of life, and there's only going to be one thing that we need to know is your name going to be found in that book of life? Are you going to be a part of his family tree? That's the most important thing that you and I can answer this morning as we look at this genealogy of Joseph. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to thank you that in Christ Jesus, you have redeemed all of mankind. The story wasn't fully understood on that, on that Christmas morn as those two teenagers laid that baby in a manger. But it become fully evident years, years later that God, your sovereign plan to redeem mankind was one that, Lord, continues to this very day. Father, we thank you, Lord, that, uh, for reminding us this morning that even in our own lives, messy as they are, your grace is sufficient for us. We praise you, Father, that you are God who takes our lives that are filled with messiness, of sin, of rebellion, and through your grace and mercy, you can make us new again. Father, we pray, Lord, that today that you would just continue to minister to our hearts. That, God, that we would truly be men and women who would say, yes, Lord, I want my name to be found in the book of life. And for us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, we say, God, we give you thanks, God, for, for adopting us through faith in Jesus. We thank you for the life that is ours because of all that Christ has done on our behalf on the cross. And to you, O oh God, we give you praise and thanks this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.